Hello and welcome back to the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. So thank you so much for being here. I hope you're well. I've just got back from a holiday, two holidays in fact, which has been rather unlike me as we've not left the country in several years due to parenthood, pandemics, all of that stuff. So um, it's been really nice to have a change of scene and um, get away <laughs> from the normal day to day. But with that has come lots of sleep challenges as ever for my little boy. And that's something I'm going to be talking about a bit more, I think, in a future episode about how we handle travel and changes to routine with our children. But um, I am feeling really uh, rested and ready <laughs> to get back to it. So um Actually, listening to this episode was quite well-timed for me because I recorded it a couple of months ago and um, my guest today and I are are talking all about when you don't have control over your situation, when you sort of have to make peace with you are where you are. So for me in the last couple of weeks, so my son, he is quite a sensitive soul. He is quite sensitive to change and We went to two new countries that he'd never been to, were very different. Um, And there was lots of new experiences, you know, plane travel and staying with family and late nights and all of this stuff, new bedroom, um, etc. for him to, to get his head around. And with that, you know, him being a toddler came some bad dreams. He had some nightmares, a bit of homesickness, bedtime took a little bit longer sometimes, uh, sleep, yeah, it was just a bit all over the place. And sometimes, you know, you you have to just accept you are where you are, you know, um, and to not let the sleep or try to not let the sleep situation um, ruin, I suppose, where you are as well. And that's really hard because obviously everyone listening to this is going to be in a very different place and you know if you are right now you've got your first baby and they're very little and you are really really exhausted and you are right in the thick of it that's obviously very different to being on holiday with a toddler Um, but wherever we are right now all of us have such different situations there can be great peace in acceptance and knowing it won't be forever but knowing also that you are here right now. And so how can you help yourself? Um, And I think a big part of that is um, understanding what's normal, being kind to yourself. That's really important. So not, not adding on a layer of what am I doing wrong? How do I have to fix this? Why am I such a bad parent? Or why, what am I, what am I missing? All of that stuff that comes with so much weight Um, so if you can let go of that and know actually I'm doing my absolute best my child is who they are we are where we are right now and I will figure this out or it will just change all on its own either way whatever happens it's not my fault it's not a reflection of my parenting skills and and it's not going to be forever So I hope what this episode does today is remind you that if you are in a sleep sort of crisis or really tough patch, whatever that looks like for you, I just remember this is not forever, but you're allowed to find it hard whilst you're in it right now. So this week I'm talking to the amazing Anna who runs the Octopus Club and if you've listened to this podcast a few times before you will have heard about the Octopus Club. It is an online marketplace where parents can uh, resell or give away their um, their, uh, their no longer needed items, their baby and children items and it's an amazing, amazing um, business. I use it all the time, it's really great but um, I, I go into this in the episode about how Anna and I met and it's she's just wonderful and we we have become friends and something we talk a lot about is um how important it is to normalize what our children's sleep looks like and how different everyone's situation is and Anna had shared something on her own Instagram account recently which was talking about how her three and a half year old had only just started to sleep through the night for the first time and how 
how much relief people expressed at hearing this because if you have a particularly wakeful older toddler you can feel really really lonely and really um you can blame yourself a lot for what am I getting wrong what have I done wrong Uh, and it can feel like it's just you and of course if you're listening to this and you've got a, a younger baby and you're wondering will they ever sleep again it might be slightly terrifying to hear yes when they're three and a half or four or five um so I hope that doesn't scare anyone but um I think Anna's um experience and the way she talks through kind of what she's been through with her son and her mindset around his sleep is I think helpful at any stage of parenting and of course you know every child's sleep journey is going to look so different so just because you have a very wakeful six month old it doesn't mean that they're going to still be in that place in a year's time but they might be and so how can we deal with this these are I think really important but difficult conversations to have so um, here it is here's my chat with Anna where we talk about how important it is to be kind to yourself accept your child for who they are and also understand who they are so we go into a lot about um, about highly sensitive children and the relieving yourself of the pressure to fix sleep hi Anna how are you hello Hannah I'm good thank you and thank you so much for having me today Oh, I'm so excited to, well, I always just like having a chat with you anyway, so it's really nice to have an excuse <laughs> to take up some of your time. And to record it so we can listen to it in a yeah. few years and be, oh, remember us. <laughs> and uh, and so, okay, so lots of people will be familiar with you and will have, if they've listened to this podcast before, will have heard all about the Octopus Club. Um, um, but for people who aren't aware of who you are could you tell us a bit about about yourself and what the what the octopus club is well we are proudly supporters of sleep like a baby your podcast you know that Mm -hmm. um and uh, so um i am my name is anna and i'm brazilian i've been living in the uk for over 20 years now so um i am a bit more uh, british than brazilian some would say uh and i Uh, I had a baby um, and six months after Max was born, I looked around the house and there were so many things that uh, were taking up space and we didn't need anymore. And so many things that um, we needed to to buy for the next stage in his development. And I thought this is not going to work. So I thought there had to be another way to do things. And that's where the idea for the Octopus Club came up. Yeah. I love it. Um, and you, what I think is amazing as well is that your brain was functioning and being so creative, even though your baby was still very, very little and very, very wakeful as well. Yeah, I think it was uh, more like a little panic because <laughs> the things were accumulating and we had an open space kind of kitchen and dining space. And we used to be quite minimal uh, before Max was born. And then suddenly there was the buggy, there was the, the lots of things that took up space and toys and mats on the floor and lots of things. And I thought, and now I need to buy the boomba chair and the high chair. And I thought, well, where am I going to put these things? And what about the other things? And then I thought there must be a way to pass these things on. Uh, but knowing that they're going to a good family instead of, uh, you know, maybe selling it on like eBay or, you know, other places where people might just buy and resell to make money like I want to know that this is going to a good home because I spent so long researching uh, uh, the product and what's the best thing for my kid I want to know that someone another family is going to enjoy it yeah totally and were you particularly passionate about the environment before you became a parent 
So I, uh, most of our furniture is secondhand, apart from our beds. Uh, we have, you know, everything else, it's like 80% secondhand. Um, cl Clothes-wise, I, I never bought too much, but I accumulated lots over the years. I used to love vintage for a long time, but then I went a bit more minimal for a while. But, uh, and, but Max completely revolutionized this for me, uh, even though I bought various things and most of things for him on before he was born new as soon as I saw all of this clutter and I had the idea for the octopus club I was like this is not gonna and I spent a fortune absolute mm -hmm. fortune probably could have bought a car <laughs> and and then I thought well, this is I mean I didn't realize somehow that he would keep growing and he would need more things and even furniture he's not gonna fit in the little cot he needs another cot and then he needs a cot bed and and even though the, some things you can add on uh, extras and they change shape, you still need to buy the extras. And, you know, it's never ending. And then he needs a buggy this way and then he needs a more like compact buggy and then he needs a scooter and then he needs a bike and now he needs something else. Like the amount of things just keeps growing. So he really made me rethink everything and uh, be much more sustainable on various areas of my life. Yeah. And so here we are now, like three years later, and the Octopus Club is, it's a thing. You made it happen. Yeah. It's, sorry, two years later, right? Is that yeah. what you said? Oh, I'm, I thought it was three years. So yeah, it's been no, years. no. Yeah, yeah, it's two. So just turned two, like toddler. <laughs> yeah, my goodness you've achieved so much in two years oh thank you so much Hannah that's incredible and I suppose um I should say to, to the listeners as well of how we met because I I just I'm such a fan of your your work and your vision anyway but you're also just the loveliest person and we were neighbors I suppose in a in a local parenting whatsapp group and you were so generous and kind and I think I asked someone about setting up their own business or something or if anyone had any tips and you like were so kind and messaged me and gave like we you, we spoke on the phone I think you were in Brazil even yes I remember exactly where I was when we spoke yeah uh, yeah it was so nice and because yeah I think you know especially women uh, uh running their own businesses we need to unite because it's really uh the, the space isn't so open for us. And I think if we help each other and give each other ideas and help each other grow and be powerful in what we do, we can have a bigger space and a better space in the business world. Definitely. That's, I think it's it's so important. You know, there is, yeah, just the things we can do together are amazing. And, you know, you being someone I'd, I'd never met, a stranger, you know, in a WhatsApp group of like 100 other parents just being like, sure, here's my, I'll give you my time. And so many of the tips you gave me have I, I use constantly and uh, like some of the things you've said about business and um all of that stuff really stays with me so um yeah I I can tell that the Octopus Club that kind of spirit of generosity and and wanting to create a community is obviously a big part of who you are as well yeah and uh, it is actually I think this thing about kindness and the world is such a difficult place at the moment there's so many things happening that are really sad and I think you know if everyone is a little bit more kind and gentle and considerate and respectful with each other imagine what we could do it could it, it makes people happy just to get a bit of love and to make new connections and especially when you are a new parent and yeah you know, maybe you feel a bit lonely or you're trying to find yourself again and find who you are now because you changed and there's um, huge transformation. And, and, and also you might feel a bit like, you know, a bit lost. And so if, you know, if we help each other and we're kind and that I'm super about that. And I think it's, um, it feels good to, to give love and it feels good to get love. So that's why I do it as well. Yeah community really is everything and I think it's you know something that people say a lot about parenting is that it takes a village and it's become a bit of a cliche but it's it is really true and I think lots of us since particularly since you know the pandemic have really really been craving that sense of community and togetherness um and yeah and it is parenting is just this huge 
earthquake you know that happens in your life and and nothing's ever the same again afterwards and you you need your people around you to normalize things and go through it with you and um and I think that's why I wanted to talk to you about sort of this idea of accepting things for where they are like it's not always about fixing the problem or perceived problem with your child's sleep or your sleep sometimes a big part of the battle is actually making peace with where you're at surrendering to a situation and feeling supported by other just knowing you're not the only one yeah 100% but before we get to that which I think is really important I just remembered something while you were talking Mm. about the earthquake of becoming a parent uh, because uh, so I think I made a little mistake in the, not mistake, but I wish I had done differently the following. Um, I prepared so much for birth. I knew everything. I read all the books. I knew all the terms. I, you know, I had this vision and I was so prepared. I was so excited about birth, which was fantastic. But what I didn't do is prepare for after birth. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I didn't even think about it because I was so fixated on the birth moment. And then after birth, I was broken in various ways, uh, mentally, physically, you know, I was like, whoa, what was that? And what's going on? And I hadn't slept for four or five nights because it was a long birth and lots of things. But what I mean is I had no idea how I could feel after birth. And I think if I had spent half of the time that I spent preparing for birth on preparing of how it would be after birth and actually giving importance to this much bigger, longer time than the actual birth itself, I would have probably been a bit smoother. It was difficult for me at the beginning because I felt really broken, you know? So what I'm trying to say is like, just aware, a bit of bit of awareness and maybe action for people that are preparing for birth to think about after birth at home, what you're going to do, who is going to be with you and uh, what you can do to, who can you ask for help if you don't feel good, who would you like to talk to if you don't feel good, have these things, have, have these conversations so that you are prepared for if you feel like you're not being able to handle it, you have somewhere to go. Yeah. And so obviously because your family are all back in Brazil, did you have anyone like what was your support network when you when you had Max? So I had uh, Andy, of course, my husband, partner. We're not married, but we are kind of married. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he was unbelievable. Amazing. Um, But I think for him, everything was so shocking as well. You know, he also just had a baby. So uh and i spoke to him and and we tried to you know like explain my anxiety and how i was feeling but but the good thing is i so i had um i don't know if you know nisa antonisa moger so she's a hypnobirthing midwife so i did a course with her we did a course with her pre uh pre baby and she was available for talking after uh birth as well so i called her when i was really feeling like i couldn't deal with it anymore but i wish i had done that before and you know asking for help and and being able to realize that you're not okay i was having really intrusive thoughts like i was thinking that people were talking about me uh, and I was thinking like oh this person like things that are were coming in my head and I was at home alone with my Max and Andy so it's not like there were people around I was having like hallucinations you know and really like going a little bit crazy because I was so sleep deprived Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that I needed to rest so so Nissa was amazing and she told me it sounds like you need sleep, like you are not okay. You need to give Max to Andy, feed him and go for a three hour nap and then feed him again and then go sleep again. You just need to sleep. And so my support network really um, wasn't very big. But Mm -hmm. soon after that, my mom came uh, five or six days later. And then after she left, my dad came for a bit. And well, and then Andy went to work, of course, two weeks later, paternal leave is so short here. Yeah. In 
And then there was another kind of thing that happened, but I was in a better place already. It was just right after birth, though, those first 10 days that were really, really hard. Yeah. I was interested, actually, like what what are the cultural differences between that sort of postnatal period in Brazil compared to the UK? So, yeah, that's something that was a little bit of an issue with my family, uh, because so ideally I would like it to be just Andy, me and Max for like two weeks so we could really like connect and be together and appreciate those moments. And then my parents could come because also um, in my view, the baby, the first two weeks, babies mostly sleep, right? And then when Andy went to work, that's when I maybe needed someone to stay with Max when I had a shower or something like that. And I could go outside for a walk or something. But um, what happened was that when Andy went back to work, my father was here for another week and then suddenly I was alone. So that's when I thought I needed more help. However, in Brazil, uh, usually... (laughs) The whole family, and I include cousins, uh, mm-hmm. half-brothers, grandmothers, everyone goes to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> when the baby is being born and the baby comes out of the mom and they show it to the whole family, okay? <laughs> that's, I'm not joking. That's the culture. For me, it sounds insane, but that's what happened to me when I was born. Everyone saw me, uh, but you know what I mean? So it's very like everyone together, which can be great for some people, but for some people, they might want more privacy and more like downtime. So yeah, it was a bit challenging because my family said, how are we not going to be in hospital with you? I said, you're not even allowed in the hospital here. <laughs> not even if you want <laughs> And you know what, Hannah, you will not believe this. So my sister was actually calling St. Thomas's asking, I want to know about my sister because she's having birth. And can you someone please give me some news? And they said, well, we're not legally allowed to let you know what's <laughs> happening. It's like, what do you mean? She's having a baby. I want to know. So yeah, it was very, a lot of culture clash. That's so funny. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, so you were very, very sleep deprived from the start then. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> that didn't get too much better for many years. <laughs> Have you caught up yet? <laughs> well, that, so that's where we come back to your uh, yeah. question where I detoured. I told you I was going to detour before we started. But, um, so, yeah, so Max is not a good sleeper. He's three and a half now. Um, mm-hmm just over three and a half and um, literally just started sleeping through the night. I'm not exaggerating. I am not making it up. It has been really tough up until 10 days ago. uh, He was waking up once a night uh, and between 18 months and now maybe two or even three times a night. And uh, from 18 months, from zero to 18 months, he was waking up around five, six, or even seven times a night. Some during a very crazy period, he was waking up every 45 minutes. It mm-hmm. was insane and it was really hardcore. And I compared myself to friends and to people on the internet and I asked myself so many times what's wrong with him what's wrong with him what's wrong with him and I kept trying to be like this is going to drive me crazy I'm going insane and I did go a bit insane sometimes because I was fighting it so much and also I was fighting it in my head I never left him to cry I'm sorry I know it clashes with some people's opinions probably not the people that listen to your podcast but (laughs) but people might listen to it just for fun and I am um I cannot just leave him to cry I I I don't think uh babies have the ability to cope and understand that they are supposed to sleep because they don't have that part of their brain you know I, I do, I'm not I'm not um, equipped to talk about this okay yeah. but I my gut feeling is that I could not do that to him because it hurt me so it would hurt me so much and mm-hmm. you know I can I just cannot couldn't anyway so for a long time I was fighting it like thinking what's wrong and googling what's wrong with my baby he doesn't sleep and, you know 
What is he ill or this and that? But of course, some things we did discover along the way. He had uh, an allergy to dairy. I removed all the dairy from my diet. It was because I was breastfeeding, right? So it was um, a little, yeah, lots of little things that sometimes I went to the GP and they were like, oh, it's quite fashionable now for babies to have dairy allergy. So this is probably, you know, not the case. Maybe it's reflux. <laughs> And they gave him reflux medication. And I was like, look, I have a gut feeling that it's not reflux, but I'll try your reflux medication. The medication did nothing. I love the NHS. The NHS has been superb in so many things for me. But on the baby thing, um, it took me a lot of guts to go back to the GP a few times and say something's wrong, something's wrong. And then I just kind of took it into my own hands. I don't know if this is the same, but... Mm -hmm. I read a book that someone recommended about a reflux and it talks about how you can take things from your diet to discover what could be triggering your baby. And I removed all dairy from my diet and within two days he was better, much better. Yeah. And then within a week I was like, obviously this is the case. And then spoke to the GP who said, you need to be eight weeks without any dairy. And then we introduce dairy again and see the reaction. Then you go another eight weeks without it. Then you introduce again for two weeks in my own diet. So I was, he was really, really baby. He was two months old. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then yeah, there's a whole process. And then and after four months, they said, oh, yes, he does have dairy allergies. Okay, thank you. And then, of course, we were uh, referred to an allergy specialist, the tetra. So these things. Yeah can have contributed to him not being well or needing me more, et cetera. But then, you know what I uh, read and discovered, which is something you spoke about on Instagram uh, recently, about 20% of babies, kids, being more sensitive than others. So they are more sensitive to what goes around them, to things that change, can you talk about this a little bit? Because I remember when I read it, I was like, it clicked like Max is like this. Yeah. And then, oh, my life changed because I understood. But can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I'm um, so funny because just before this um, interview, I was writing up some notes from a consultation with a, with a client and we had that exact conversation yesterday and I saw it on their faces of like it clicked for them of like what had been going on for their child um and I think yeah so uh, about 15 to 20 percent of, of children infants can be considered highly sensitive or you might refer to them you might hear them referred to as orchids um or deeply feeling children or essentially it's it's basically just means that they their nervous system is very is more sensitive to the world around them so they just feel things that little bit more deeply they're a bit more reactive um, and these are the babies who are often described as being very alert um, they um, like to be held a lot feed a lot they need a lot of sensory input from you to fall asleep or they might find transitions difficult so you know moving locations or even moving from awake to asleep might be a big transition for them um, and I think knowing that and understanding that is really, really liberating because it, what it does is it means that you're no longer to blame. And I use the word blame it with like um, quotation marks around it um, because you're not it's not your fault that your baby needs you so much. Actually, you're responding to their very specific quite intense needs that they have just because that's the way they're hardwired. And I think, I think the word sensitive has sort of negative connotations in our culture. To me, the word sensitive sounds like, I don't know, miserable or um, I don't know. It's like we associate it with weakness, I think a lot, but actually I think sensitivity is a superpower. And these are people that grow up to be incredibly empathetic and, in, and funny and intelligent. And, you know, people like, Beyonce and John Lennon and you know all of these like, amazing creative geniuses described themselves as sensitive and they were highly sensitive children and um, so I think knowing that about your child is a real game changer yeah 
100%. Yeah. So when you said like they want to be held more and they want to be uh, close when they fall asleep. So basically Max didn't go on a buggy for the first six months of his life at all. Like there was no way he would scream. And uh, he did naps on a carrier with me and my husband for about 18 months. <laughs> I remember uh, designing the Octopus Club because I'm a designer. So I design how it looks like, right? I don't do the websites, how, like the <laughs> back stuff, but the, how it looks, etc. So I remember designing it and having the ideas and that with Max sleeping on the carrier and I'm sitting down and working on my computer. I remember this so well because he would only feel safe there. That's where he wanted to be. He... He had maybe a nap in the cot, maybe like 10 times ever. Because mm. he liked to be in the car or on the carrier or contact nap. That yeah. was the case. And we co-slept for 10 months. And then uh, I tried really hard uh, for a long time to have him in his own bed. <laughs> And uh, I, I wish I had given up sooner because it was so much more difficult to get out of my room, get out of bed, go to his room, get in bed with him. I used to get inside the cot. I have photos of me inside the cot. I sent to my friends. They were like, you are insane. You are crazy. Because he needed me there and I ended up staying and he breastfed and I fell asleep because what, you know, anyway. So now we are co-sleeping again. He has been very ill this year, January and February with lots of visits to the hospital. And then he needed us even more. And we said, oh, let's just bring him in bed again. Because also I was worried that something would happen and I wouldn't hear. Because one of the times that we had to go to uh, the hospital with an ambulance was when he woke up at, at 12 in the night coughing and already grasping for air as soon as I got to the room. So it kind of made me a bit like, I just, if he's by my side, I'm going to wake up. If there's anything wrong, I'm going to know. So I'm a little bit, you know, we're now, now he's sleeping much better. His health is much better. Everything is much better. So we're not going to change anything for now. We're just going to enjoy the moment. Yeah. I thought we would never be co-sleeping when he's almost four. And, but you know what? It's working for us. And, and I think I thought that I would never be co-sleeping when he's almost four because I read and someone told me and that's what it's supposed to be, that kids need their own independence, etc. But actually, who said that and from which culture and what is, it what is it based on? And it's a bit like, I think now that I can look at it, our journey and what has been happening, what happened, how it worked out and it, it's just much more about what works for you and what makes things easier for you because parenting is tough. So mm -hmm. what are the things that you can do your way to facilitate and have a better life instead of trying it to do by a book or by, mm -hmm. you know, someone told me or someone told me off, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Because it, ultimately you have to figure out what works for your child and for you as a parent as well you're both you know when a child is born it's not just the the child that's born a, a parent a mother and a father or two mothers or two fathers or what have you but two parents or one parent are, is born as well you know that, that you are also going through something you're learning what works for you and you know lots of parents with highly sensitive children are often highly sensitive themselves, you know? So how does that relate? You know, how do you look after yourself and your nervous system whilst caring for a baby with quite high sensory needs? Yeah, exactly. We, I think uh, mental health in uh, new parents is really important. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you need to be aware, you need to talk to people. And if you cannot talk to people, you know, you go to the GP, you have a chat. It's... Uh, you, you know, it's some things are, uh, you know, considered, I don't know, I, I don't want to say the wrong things here. But what I'm saying is like, you don't have to suffer in silence. And even if you go to the GP and says, oh, I'm, I'm thinking like this, I'm feeling like that, they might say, oh, okay, come back in three weeks, we'll have a chat. Or maybe he'll say, mm, tell me more, should we speak to someone else? And they, if you can't evaluate yourself, which is really hard to do when you're in the middle of it and and not feeling 
the best and maybe very sleep deprived and uh, refinding yourself and re-understanding who you have become, all of those things. I think it's always good to chat. And, and if you don't feel uh, comfortable talking to people close to you, go talk to the GP and, and yeah, get some help because yeah. it's really, it does, you don't have to suffer and on, on your own. I don't think so. And, and we haven't evolved, like we have, we haven't evolved to do this on our own either. It's very unnatural to be parenting in the way that lots of us are today, which is kind of in isolation in the sense that it's, you know, a nuclear family in your home without, you know, and I, I think as like, even though the idea of all my cousins turning up to hospital when I'm given birth is a lot, I also think there is something too much, that right? That might be a boundary that I wouldn't be happy with, but at the same time, that sense of community and family and, and um, people coming together and everyone being there to like welcome this child and to support the whole family. I think that's something we're, we're missing in mm-hmm. large parts of the UK. And I think remembering that we have evolved over, you know, thousands and thousands of years to parent in a group, in a collective. And so, of course, you're not supposed to be able to deal with all of this just as one or two parents in a home like of course you're going to need help from your you know mental health professionals help from babe you know people that can support you in all these kinds of ways of course you're going to need that it's kind of you're we're setting parents up to fail if we if we're telling them you can do it all just on your own yeah and I think there's a lot of uh, I read a lot everywhere something like you've got this you can do it but it's like mm, do you want to be saying that so much like pushing people that you know be strong keep going I, I'm not yeah, sure yeah. that's the right message well don't you think it comes back to that, that is very indicative of a culture that thinks of sensitivity as a negative thing and you know strength yeah. carrying through as a positive and then there's no wonder then that people don't have time for like highly sensitive babies or they think that they just need to get get onto a routine they need to cry out they need to get with the program you know they need to they need to toughen up because it's like that's what our culture thinks is like we've got to be hard and strong all the time when actually we can be sensitive we can we can struggle we we can depend on other people and and that's very normal and that's that's not a sign of weakness I think actually that's a sign of enormous courage and strength to be able to ask for help and to lean on other people and to be vulnerable with other people yeah and the more that we show that we this is going on for us and that this happened that people are like oh I feel like that too yeah maybe I should you know get some help talk to someone because yeah yeah powering through all the time and uh, you know it's bound to go to burnout stage so and and lots of people get there I've been there a few times and it's like not nice and it's just so unpleasant to be burnt out it really it really is so I was going to ask you um when did you discover or like kind of when did the penny drop that Max was a highly sensitive baby or orchid or I think it was around 18 months or just after uh because I I stopped breastfeeding and I thought, okay, now, now this is happening because, you know, everyone says when you stop breastfeeding, mm-hmm. they're going to sleep through the night. And of course that didn't happen because my kids, for him, the, of course, he was addicted to the breast more than most <laughs> kids, but it's like, he still needed me. Yeah. That's what he wanted. And the breastfeeding for him at that stage, he was eating really well, was comfort. And he still needed the comfort, even though he didn't get the milk. So I was like, whoa, 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 something, something must be wrong. And that's all I thought all the time, something's wrong, something's wrong. So I started researching more and then I came across um, uh, an, an internet article and I was like, what? This is insane. This is Max. And everything they described on the article, I was like, Wow. And I showed it to my husband and he's like, this is Max. And I was like, I, we understand him now. It was like such a breakthrough. It was like, <gasps> and, and it, the, so this article was talking about, of course, the needs of a highly sensitive child, but also about all the qualities. And I, and I could relate to both things, everything ticked. And I said, okay, now I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to give him what he needs as I have been doing, but without 
worrying, without always researching, without beating myself up, without thinking something's broken. That that's him. That's his personality. So I'm just gonna go with it. And when that happened, even though I was still tired, mm-hmm. still had to wake up, still everything kept the same, but I relaxed into that role and oh, it felt good. Oh, but 18 months is a really long time <laughs> to, to not, you know, to be thinking like, what is it? What am I doing wrong? What am I, what's he, you know? Yeah, that's a long It time. was a lot, Hannah. It was yeah. really tough. It was, yeah, it was, it was hardcore. But you know what? Mm. We're in another place and it does pass. What's the saying? This too shall pass. Yes, it yeah. takes time sometimes it takes years sometimes he's just now sleeping through but it's in a way it feels like it was yesterday when I was in it it felt like I couldn't take it anymore many times I crashed like I said I burned out like I couldn't do it and I felt like you know why 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 but you know if it, it just made so much sense when I read about the highly sensitive child and and I was able to incorporate that into how we were doing things and much more into how I was feeling things. And I stopped being so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that is, that's another level of exhaustion, isn't it? That mental load of feeling like you have to fix it is, yeah. is a lot for, for parents. And, and it is difficult because like you say, there were, there were things that needed fixing as well you know with his diet and but what's really interesting is that um I don't know if you've read the book the orchid and the dandelion no I would love to go yeah so it's by um a a a doctor called um uh W uh, W. Thomas Boyce and he basically it is partly a, a memoir as well of his own upbringing because he had a sister who was incredibly bright and um you know, capable and clever and funny and all of these things. And they had, they were, they were close in age and they had very obviously similar upbringings. And he went on to become this very successful, you know, doctor. And I think he's a pediatrician and all this stuff. Whereas, you know, she had a very different um, path in life and had a lot of problems that he didn't and he and and then he saw in his own work as a as a doctor that some children would have um you know a medical file that was a few pages long and then the other and then there would be a yeah about 20 percent of the kids that would come into his office where their file was like thick it was like you know like the yellow pages thick and it was like they have everything they've got <laughs> allergies asthma like all of these loads of different like you know there's this pattern and and, and he's started to look at this as like as not just an emotional sensitivity but sensitivity but also a sensitivity to physical ailments and you know things like that you know so I think that's really interesting that often you have a highly sensitive child who does need a lot of closeness and and comfort and reassurance but also they might also have a lot of atopic conditions and things like that you know um eczema allergies um breathing problems all of these things as well so it can be a lot it really can be very very intense to parent a child like that yeah and you know now that you said that uh mm-hmm. so th- these things that happened in, to max in january and february they were really scary mm-hmm. it turns out that he potentially has asthma mm-hmm. <laughs> so um so he has been now on the blue and the brown inhaler for well since January, uh, and yeah, it totally makes sense. So yeah. he still, I, I'm pretty sure he still has a dairy allergy because now we again took it off his diet because now he don't, doesn't have breast milk anymore, um, and he's on medication for asthma. So it's like he exactly is not just sensitive to the world, but also his body is more sensitive. Yeah. I look at my husband, who I think is a classic, highly sensitive baby grown up now. And, you know, he had, you know, he was, yeah, he had a dairy allergy. He has asthma. He had eczema. He has hay fever. He had, as a child, like very big, big feelings. And I know that, I know that children do have big feelings. That's normal, but they, you know, he's one of three and his were particularly intense. <laughs> and his mum, his mum says that compared to the other two, he was really, really just needed her so much more on mm. a level. And, you know, he, my husband, he has grown up to become 
he's a creative he's extremely like you know I'm really proud of him he's very successful he's very mm -hmm. creative he's got an amazing mind um and I think it just shows that um yeah that these things are not negative things but they are hard to parent I think, yeah you know, they're intense yeah exactly oh yeah so yeah I and I do think you know what you were saying about yeah just yeah surrendering and accepting it is just yeah is so powerful and what I see all the time you know I think it's important that when we talk about this that we're not just telling parents just roll with it and relax because I think that can be sort of like toxic positivity and be like so what like just you know just like you can do it yeah like you were saying just you know it's fine it'll pass like it's important to say this too shall pass but right now it's bloody hard and you were allowed to feel it you are allowed to feel that like you you've got to own that and you you could be in it you know um yeah totally yes and talk to people and uh, search for for help if you don't want to talk to your friends and close family like be able it's okay to express that it's hard it's okay to, to, to complain it's okay not to be super happy you know but try to be able to talk about these things because mm -hmm. then people around you whoever they are might be able to help you judge if the feelings and thoughts you're having are quite okay and normal or if maybe you need to talk about them more and, and maybe yeah. have sessions and etc yeah I wanted to ask actually what was um when you would talk to your family back home what would they say would they like what did they kind of encourage you to cry out or were they thinking about the but were they more aligned with your thinking what was that like so I remember my mom said oh you need to sit by his cot and explain that you're going to be outside of the cot outside of the room and then you talk to him and I said mommy he's so young she said yeah but he will listen and she, I like that because of course I totally agree with her but I really actually wanted him to say okay mommy <laughs> you know what I mean like I get it I'll know what you're doing no problem but uh so so she was really like yeah so you sit and explain and you get out of the room a bit just for a few seconds you come back and you stay with him and then uh, so which was not cried out. No one uh, in my family suggested that. Um, I know that it works for people. I have friends who did it and it works for them. And I think it's great. But for me and for my family as well, I, it was not something that we, um, we even considered. Yeah. Yeah. And what about then your, I, I, I'm assuming that Andy's family are, are British. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You never know. But um, I mean, did, were they on the same page as you or did you feel like a bit so, of a culture clash? I don't know if I don't know if it's a British thing or if mm. it's an Andy's family thing, but uh, they they are so lovely and they mm. they don't tell us ever what to do or how to do it. They just ask how it's going, which is lovely. So they never say like, you should be doing that. You should be doing this. And they're more like, oh, how's it going? And I was like, oh, it's waking up a lot. Oh, that must be tough. Yeah, that's what I wanted to hear. I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. <laughs> so nice. Because the reason I was asking was because when you were talking about, yeah, talking to people and explaining what you're going through, I think sometimes a lot of parents can feel anxious then about being given that unsolicited advice and being told, well, you just need to cry out. And, and I think we can make people nervous about being honest. Yeah, I think I read somewhere something really good, uh, which is when someone comes and, and tells you a problem or, or something that's going on in their life they're not happy with, I think the first thing we should ask them is like, do you want to vent or do you want advice? And this is so good because I usually start with advice because it's the way I am like not actually this but you know I try to help but I try to help my way and then I realized that maybe people just want to vent and also maybe people don't agree to my view so why am I going to be imposing so if you ask they will know if they want your advice or if they just want to talk about it yeah it's such good advice I have to take that advice a lot myself <laughs> I think it's human nature isn't it like you know and and also we do live in this culture of fixing everything everything's a yes. hack, everything google everything like there's always a solution we are constantly sold that like we can fix everything and anything if we just you know buy the right thing blah blah, blah. and so yeah 
and we want to help people and people are well-meaning I don't think people are telling anyone to cry it out because they're horrible people I don't think that at all I think they're just they just they're seeing someone they care about struggling with the sleep deprivation and they genuinely want to help Mm, yeah you know but it's I think yeah I and I do think though that people you know there is more opportunity now to be more honest about about what normal looks like for for them because I see I see that all the time through social media you know um certainly my like the the posts I do that get the most comments are when it when I ask like what does your normal look like and Mm. you can see people writing like oh my god I thought this was just me or I thought it was just me that had a three-year-old who woke um because that can feel really lonely can't it yeah, when I when I shared something um, on Instagram about Max waking up every night, very recently, I had a few people say, wow, that sounds horrible, and how can you cope, etc. But I had over 50 people say, my son does that too, my daughter is four, and she still wakes up, and this and that. And it was so good for me to hear it from them. And mm-hmm. I can imagine that it was so great for them to see someone actually publicly talking about it. And they're like, oh, me too. And like, it's like, feels like, oh, thank you, because you know, we're, we're in this together. It's not easy. And uh, you're not alone. There's nothing broken. Yeah. And don't you think as well that as your child gets older and obviously they're verbal and their personality is more obvious and, and, and you know them better just by having lived with them for several years, um, that you can then look back on that baby period. And, and it, for me, it all makes sense. I'm like, of course, that's why you were the way you were. Like, this is your this is who you are. <laughs> It's so helpful now that they speak, isn't it? And they can say, oh, this is hurting. I'm tired. I'm hungry. When Max said the first time, I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? Yeah. Yes, let's do this. (laughs) Amazing. I'll take you there. You know, like, wow, vocabulary. It's, oh, it's just mind blowing because it it just helps so much. Because remember when he had temperatures and fevers and, you know, it's the same word anyway. It just felt like, oh, what's going on? How is he feeling? And then now he can say, oh, I don't feel too good. Oh, I feel ill. And I'm like, yeah, great. Thank you. Is there, is there anything hurting? No. Okay, great. You know, like, yeah. oh, so helpful. <laughs> Language. <laughs> Language. It's a game changer. And just, it helps you just understand who they are so much as well. But um, yeah, it's, but it's really hard. Like parenting is just, especially with your first, I think it's just really, really difficult because you, you don't speak the same language as this person and you're going to be spending basically every minute together for quite a long time. Yeah, first and last in my case, right? We we just wanted one before we had Max and yeah. he came an incredible, amazing, stunning, beautiful, loved person. Yeah. He has blown our minds and I confirm that we are not having a second. <laughs> I think that's great though that you like yeah that you you're I think that's another thing though that people can feel a lot of pressure to like have a second child I don't know if you feel that ever Um, I think this could be a complete different podcast because I could talk about a long time yeah I like you know the one and done movement I think it's good that people are just again being more honest and open about this is what works for my family like just because just because you have or someone else has a different idea of what a family looks like that doesn't mean that's how my family should and you know what I think I also the the thing about the highly sensitive child maybe if you have a highly sensitive child like I did you probably will not have a second child because it is very very demanding (laughs) it's quite challenging especially the sleep stuff I think Uh, and we're just getting to the other side of that now so I feel like finally I'm gonna you know start feeling rested when I wake up I hope at some point (laughs) I would really like to see if there's some research into this about yeah about whether about um how many (laughs) only children are highly sensitive and if that has impacted on because obviously people's decisions to have other children on very complex but it'd be, it would be interesting wouldn't it if that if there was a trend yeah yeah totally or I think I speak to a lot of people who this is something that comes up actually in consultations all the time is that people 
with I, I and I work with a lot of people with highly sensitive babies, obviously, because they're the type to, probably are more likely to need a, a sleep consultant than um, yeah. than a dandelion. Um, but uh, yeah, is the this anxiety like they might say, like, I have always wanted a bigger family or I really would love to have a second child, but I feel quite, yeah, I've got nothing left in the tank right now. I'm exhausted. I'm anxious about having another baby who doesn't sleep. Um, I don't know how I could meet this child's needs and another child. And what if they're also really sensitive? And I, I get it. It's a really common bit of anxiety. Yeah. Um, no comments. I but you know where you're the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's great but max is is uh yeah he's he's amazing though isn't he like he's oh, just... he is amazing i'm sorry every day there's something new that he does and i cannot believe it now he's saying something like he gives, gives an idea so i play the ball here and you go there and you do this how about that and i'm like wow how about that <laughs> love it Hannah, there's one thing I wanted to say that I forgot when you yeah. asked the question about if I led a sustainable life before Max. Mm. So, as I said, I did have the furniture and some secondhand stuff. And of course, um, what else? The car has always been secondhand. And um, what else? Yeah, but then after Max and the whole second, uh, the Doctopus Club thing, which triggered a much bigger movement in my own self and in the house. I did so many changes that are sustainable. Like I use uh, period pants now instead mm -hmm. of uh, the, the disposable things. And to know that I'm contributing to a world with less plastic, like single use plastic and, um, you know, disposable things. So yeah, Max really triggered a much more sustainable life in, in many senses, not just in the baby and kids world. I'm totally not perfect. I make lots of mistakes in the sustainable thing. And I also am totally anti-eco guilt. And I think if everyone does a little bit, if everyone makes some small changes here and there, which work for them and their family, is much better than having a handful of people doing it perfectly and not doing any waste. Because it's the impact is much bigger if lots of people do a little bit of the sustain, whole sustainable thing. That's such a good point because I think that's I think being more sustainable can feel unachievable like it's like people think well if I've I've got to give everything up or I've got to stop everything or uh you know am I a hypocrite if I do this and this and yeah but actually like you say it's just about making the changes like some smaller changes yeah yeah, and not feeling guilty, not being afraid to try. Because if you think, oh, but I'm not going to succeed because no, 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 then you won't try. But if you think, oh, I'll just try this out and maybe you're going to like it and you're going to try something else out that is sustainable. So, you know, just being less judgmental with yourself as well and being more experimental. Yeah, we can be just all just very hard on ourselves, can't we? I think yeah. we just live in this culture, I think, where we are all well not all of us but so many of us are chasing kind of perfection and that then that comes with all this guilt and shame and stress and it's a bit like parenting you know it's just like if <laughs> you just kind of let go of a little bit of that be kind to yourself um understand yourself a bit better and just like you know it's the same with I don't know maybe this is a bit of a random comparison but even with like you know so-called gentle parenting you know a lot of people feel like oh well I'm such a bad parent because I yelled at my child the other day and therefore I'm not a gentle parent or I'm not I actually really resent getting up eight times a night and I or five times a night or one time a night and I therefore I must be a bad parent because you know, I should love this. And it's like, no, you're human. Like, of yeah. course, you're going to yell sometimes. Of course, you're going to feel knackered sometimes. You know, there is no perfect. Exactly, exactly. And if you do something that you're not happy with, for example, you yell with your child and you feel like, oh, I don't like what I did. Even if they're a baby or a toddler, you could go and say, I'm really sorry I did this. I, I was stressed or I have lots on. And just like saying sorry in so many occasions fixes things so much and people realize that you're human and it's okay to make mistakes and not trying to be perfect, like you said before. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We could talk forever, right? I know, I know. I just, I'm just, I just like chatting with you, Anna. Me too. <laughs>
<laughs> let's do it again let's pick another subject I know yeah oh, well thank you so much for yeah sharing your story with with Max and and you know and the fact that you also created this amazing company alongside all of that exhaustion and sleep deprivation and very and in a pandemic with very little childcare, I <laughs> is honestly you should write like um yeah a book about it it's amazing I don't know how I did it to be honest now that I think about it yeah you're crazy <laughs> I, I must be right <laughs> you're either crazy or a genius so I mean let's go with you. Cra- crazy I'm much more <laughs> crazy than genius trust me I'm sure about that one I think that that bit of advice do you, of, of someone who's in a state coming to you saying, do you want to vent or do you want advice is such gold, isn't it? Since Anna brought that up, I've been having that on my head in loop with all my conversations to my friends ever since. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there is a lot of, I think there are wonderful intentions of wanting to help people. You know, if if you've been through a situation before and someone's, baby is also sleeping similarly or you just want to help or um you've read something you want to share some information you know it's important sometimes as Anna said with what she went through with Max's dairy allergy and things like that you know good and reflux good information is important but then there is also something about just letting people understand that even if they don't fix the problem um that it's going to be okay that that it's not their fault um and you know sometimes these things do fix the sleep problem I think this is the difficulty in talking about this stuff because sometimes you know obviously I'm I'm a sleep consultant I work with families all the time and we we make improvements but you know any sleep consultant even if they do full-on cry it out or they're very very gentle and holistic wherever you sit on that spectrum any honest sleep consultant worth um, worth their salt will tell you that sometimes you have clients for whom there is no um, major change to the sleep situation and in fact before I trained and did this job I spoke to someone who um, does do sleep training and has um, you know lots and lots of um, amazing reviews on their website etc like they do produce the results that lots of their clients want um and actually off the record she told me that sometimes she works with people and um nothing really changes you know that maybe a few smaller tweaks help and maybe things get more manageable but sometimes of course there are children who don't respond to sleep training and we know that anyway because there's quite a lot of research to demonstrate that even in the kind of clinical studies looking into infant sleep interventions there are always some infants in those studies whose sleep doesn't change at all so even if you left them to cry themselves to sleep for an indefinite period of time and you followed all of that all of those you know those rules those children won't um and that is why I people like me talk so much about temperament and your unique circumstances and what is going on for your family right now there are so many reasons and that's why I sort of mentioned my own holiday at the start of this um, podcast because my son's sleep was up and down for the first week of our holiday and that's because of all of the circumstances that he was in plus his personality because you know I before I went away I was asking a friend how her recent holiday had gone and it was amazing our kids are the same age but very different personalities and you know she had lions and easy bedtimes and her kids slept through and I was like great you know bit of sun sunshine sea air lots of swimming in the day maybe he'll do the same but he didn't because um he is who he is um and I think it's so important to remember that when we're talking to our village, who are so important, obviously we're all going to compare and contrast and ask others about their experiences and, and consume that. But then I think to protect our own mental health, we also then need to have a bit of a sense check with ourselves and say, remind ourselves that all our babies are unique 
they're all different if there really was one magic way to make babies sleep or to make babies or children behave in a particular way we'd all know about it by now and everyone would just do it the reason why this is so difficult and why sleep is one of the most googled things on the planet is because everyone is so different and uh, sometimes we are just in a really hard place and this is why I like to call it a clusterfuck and I'm sorry if you've got children listening and I just swore but um uh sometimes it is just that perfect storm of everything happening at once and you know your child is experiencing a growth spurt an allergy uh chain you've moved house you've got a new childcare situation all of these things maybe there's some illness all of that stuff is just happening all at once and you need to lean in, know that this is hard and know that this too shall pass. Even for some people that might be weeks, days or even years, you will get through it. And I hope you found this episode reassuring um, and optimistic as well. And um, I look forward to hearing lots, <laughs> hearing your comments and let me know what you think about it. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.